they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. Capernaum, by the way, was his home territory, up, by the, up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. As he taught in the synagogue, they were astounded at his teaching, because he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes, the religious professionals. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Do an entire year's Bible study on this one verse. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus keeps his identity a secret from his followers and the crowds that are are trailing him around and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But the supernatural powers recognize him immediately as something more than just a teacher or a prophet. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God, right here in chapter 1. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him, and the unclean spirit throwing the man into convulsions and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts together upon this, your word to us today, be acceptable and life-giving in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever uh, turned off the news kind of in disgust or exhaustion and thought to yourself, what gets into people? Or have you ever been with a group of your closest friends and they were acting the fool, as my grandmother would say, and asked yourself, what gets into people? What does get into people? It's an age-old question, and right in the first chapter here, Mark draws the battle lines. He entered the synagogue, and Jesus astounded everyone because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes, and... In this little story we're reading, there was a man in that synagogue possessed by an unclean spirit who cries out in pain. There we have it. New authority. This Jesus, who's being introduced in chapter 1 of the very first gospel ever written on the face of the earth, on one hand, and on the other hand, what's inside this person, this Man, this human being, this child of God. He's got something in him. What gets into us? What's Jesus up against right here in chapter 1? In your life, in my life. Why is it so important that Mark tells us this story in the very first verses of the first chapter of his story about Jesus? Well, we can guess what's wrong with this guy, by the way. 
mental illness, Tourette syndrome, whatever scientific medical explanation we can think of, but I don't think that's the point here or in a lot of other places in the Bible, really. And maybe it's easier to see today than it was back then, but today we live in a world that prioritizes individualism. And I guess that makes sense because for centuries and centuries, only certain kinds of people got to pursue and express their individualism, who they really are. Today, that right, that privilege, that human right is expanding. Maybe, though, we've swung a little bit too far on the other end of the spectrum, the other end of the pendulum, because for us in today's world, everything is about me. I mean, not me personally. Everything's about you in your life, and everything's about me and mine. That's a very postmodern reality. More than any other time in history, I think, for better or for worse, you and I evaluate pretty much every choice we have to make, we get to make, by the standard of what it can do for us, what it can do for me. How will this school, this career, this person, this church help me be me, do what I want to do? How will this choice increase my chances, strengthen my bank account, provide security for my family, strengthen my unique brand? And we are, each one of us, unique. We are, each one of us, a unique miracle of God's creation. There's no one else like you. But you and I are also part of the human race, part of something bigger than ourselves, subject to the same limitations, which we, we avoid confronting. That's why we have Ash Wednesday, even on Valentine's Day. We are subject to being part of the human family with all the same patterns, all the same biological limitations and realities, but we don't want to hear that. One of my favorite scenes, one of my favorite films, is Monty Python's classic Life of Brian. In this scene, Brian, the main character, born in Bethlehem a few mangers down from the real Jesus, his entire life in, in the entire movie is confused with the real Jesus. And from the moment he is born on, people follow him around thinking he's the Messiah. He's not. He doesn't want them to follow him. He doesn't want to be the Messiah. Reluctantly, once they catch him in his apartment or his home, he addresses the mob from the window, and he yells to them, you don't need to follow me. You don't need to follow anybody. You've got to think for yourselves. You are all individuals. And they all respond together, yes, we are all individuals. Then Brian says, you're all different. And they all say together, yes, we are all different. And then a lone voice says, I'm not. want to be unique. What gets into us as unique creations of the Lord God Almighty? What gets into us as members of the human race, all very much alike? Why do we do what we do? Think of all the brokenness and violence and selfish, self-centered behavior that is out there today. Think of all the people you know, and every family has one of these people. Every circle of friends has at least one 
someone you love who just keeps damaging themselves, keeps destroying their own lives, and by extension, a lot of times, hurting and damaging the lives of people who love them. Why? Because, you know, there's one thing we all have in common with the animal world, with one another, is that none of us starting out wants to die, and almost all of us all the way through our lives don't want to die. Self-preservation is the strongest instinct in all creatures, all living beings. And yet, every year, high in the Scandinavian mountains, there is an animal who apparently chooses mass suicide. Any zoologists in the room? When the lemming population gets too large and the food supply too scarce, these lemmings, these little kind of mouse-like creatures, leave their burrows, and like a mighty army, they swarm out of the mountains and rush toward the sea. Now, normally, lemmings fear and avoid water, but during their mass march, they are determined, for whatever reason, to cross lakes and streams, and while they're, while they're traveling along, they have a great time. They devour every possible piece of food they can think of that's in their path, and ever, after moving along together en masse for weeks and weeks, the lemmings finally reach the seashore and YouTube this. It's pretty interesting. Row upon row, at that point, they plunge headlong over the cliffs into the water, and for a short time, these frantic rodents stay afloat, but soon they get tired and sink to their doom. And lots and lots of theories have been put out there about this mass suicide, which is what it seems like it is. But most zoologists have concluded that this fatal plunge of the lemmings is just an error in judgment. They think they're going to be able to cross this really wide river that they've all hurtled themselves into. And maybe on the other side find a food supply. But it's only a guess, because it sure seems like they're going over that cliff willingly, voluntarily. No one knows, really, what gets into these suicidal lemmings. With the exception of lemmings, though, usually animal behavior is relatively predictable. Rarely, for example, will a dog bite the hand that feeds him. Mark Twain said, that's the difference between humans and animals. So the question really is, what does get into us people, us human beings? Did you read about the census worker who approached this one house very, very cautiously and slowly? This census worker was justifiably deathly afraid of dogs. Dogs were probably the biggest obstacle in her work. And she noticed there was a fence around this house, so there might be a dog. And so she opened the gate ever so carefully and then scurried quietly up to the house. She rang the doorbell, whereupon the lady of the house opened the door. The census worker breathed a sigh of relief. She felt safe now, whereupon the lady bit her. This is 97.3% true, based on the research I could, I could do. And this census worker required medical attention because human bites are a lot worse than animal bites. We humans are far more unpredictable than animals. 
So what gets into us? Why do we bite people we don't even know, so to speak? When I was a kid, there was a very funny, popular comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. What was Flip's tagline, folks, of a certain age? The devil made me do it. It reminds me of the story of a little girl who uh, got mad at her younger brother. Siblings tend to fight. I was one of two. I have two. Believe me, it's true. The older sister pushed her little brother down, called him a name, and then she spit on him. Parents weren't anywhere. This kind of stuff really happens when the parents aren't around. Her father said, honey, I think the devil made you do that. The little girl said, daddy, the devil might have made me push him down and call him names, but I thought of spitting on him all by myself. With regard to our destructive impulses, our excuse often is, Satan made me do it. The devil made me do it. Something caused me to act like this, something outside of myself. But I think that lets ourselves, us, off a little too easily. It's not something outside of us. It's something in us. This text today gets it right. We can be victimized by this, but we're not innocent victims. It may be easier to say that the devil made me do things, or the way my parents raised me made me do things, or the socioeconomic circumstances of my life makes me, make me do things, or my goals for today make me do things, it's not really me, or the way the stars are aligned make me behave the way I, I behave. But I think we're fooling ourselves when we do that. And worse, by blaming our suffering and the damage we cause completely on something or someone else, we actually damage ourselves. We're not helping ourselves because we're avoiding the root cause of our emptiness, our anger, our hopelessness, our quiet, silent despair. The root cause is the fear we all carry around inside of us by trying to do this life alone. Genesis has it right. Adam and Eve eat the fruit not because they want to disobey, but because the serpent persuaded them when the serpent says, you're not going to die. You will be like God. You don't need any help. You'll be like God. You'll have all that power, all that independence. You'll have a unique brand. You don't need any assistance to be connected to anything. And so we all try, and we all fail, and it hurts, and we bury the hurt inside, but the hurt gets out in all kinds of ways. That's how therapists have careers. What gets into you? What gets into us? The Bible says, Mark says here in this passage today that this man had an unclean spirit, i.e., that which is not of God. Mark isn't specific about his symptoms. All we know is this man is crying out for help, crying out because his true inner nature is confronted by true God. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The shift from the singular to the plural is fascinating. There's more than one demon in there, apparently. But Jesus rebukes the man in whom are this, is this multitude 
of unclean spirits. Jesus rebukes him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing the man who cries out with a loud voice comes out. It's a very dramatic scene which we can read by so quickly that we miss it, miss the drama. Here in eight short verses today, Mark shows us that the worshipers are astounded by the authority with which Jesus starts teaching. And then in the middle of this little short text, the spirits which Mark says are inside this suffering man, submit to Jesus' command. These spirits have been tormenting this guy for maybe his whole life. And finally the crowd asks, who is this guy? Even the unclean spirits obey him. Authority. We want someone who can help us. It's amazing, when I moved to the New York area, and especially since I moved out to New Jersey, when someone gets sick, when they get cancer, where do they want to go? New York City, right? Sloan Kettering, it's amazing. They want the best, they want someone who can help. They want to increase their odds as much as they can by the power of their own money, resources, actions, efforts, We want someone who can help us. In the story Millie read from Luke, there in Mary and Martha's house, as these two sisters start arguing with each other, Jesus reverses traditional expectations and gender roles and the honor hospitality system, which was deeply ingrained and still is in Near Eastern culture. One thing is needful, he says to Martha, who's complaining about Mary, who's not doing any work, Mary has chosen the better part, sitting there listening to Jesus. And that, Jesus says, that better part which she has chosen will never be taken from her. Leave the dishes in the sink. I'm only here for a short time. Mark, in his text this morning, introduces Jesus as someone who is different, different enough to actually bring hope not like the regular religious leaders, people like me. Jesus is something altogether different. He is the only one with the power and the authority over the things that can control us. Why? Because Jesus, according to Mark, is God's very presence with us. Emmanuel. Power and authority are his over the things that move into our brains, occupy our thoughts, obsess us silently. Jesus has authority and has enough authority and enough love to set you free. Some people have that kind of authority, don't they? That's what Millie was talking about. There is something about their demeanor, their charisma, their tone of voice that inspires action. I was raised by a military officer. When my dad said, come here, I came. There was never any question. I heard about a man who went to see a doctor about a headache. A large, business-like, very veteran nurse was behind the receptionist's desks. I'd like to see the doctor, said the man. I have a headache. The nurse said sharply, 
go in that room, close the door, and take off your clothes. But ma'am, get in the room, close the door, and take off your clothes. He only had a headache, but she had some authority. So the man goes in the room, closes the door, and takes off his clothes. Suddenly, he realizes in the dim light that there's someone else in the room with him. Another guy, also with his clothes off. The, the patient said to the first guy, I can't believe I'm standing here naked like this and all I've got is a headache. To which the other man, who'd already been there, complained, you think you've got problems? I just came to read the meter. <laughs> Some people have authority. Jesus, God's very self in your life, has it. And we need someone who can help us. It's sad that so many people, even in the church, only give lip service to the authority of Jesus. They'll sing about him, they'll pray to him on Sundays. They like him, he's nice, for the most part. They may even go to church almost every Sunday, but they really don't trust that he can help them. He can deliver them. So they deposit their trust elsewhere. Where do you place your ultimate trust? Your best hopes for freedom, for hope, for your best self. I used to work for an electric power company for a long time in high school and college, and you know, linemen were up on the poles, and I would throw things up to them. And I quickly realized I needed to go to college because I couldn't do that. Um, there's an old story about some linemen who were busy, busy putting up telephone poles in a farmer's field. The farmer came out and ordered them off his land, whereupon they showed him a piece of paper that gave them the right to plant their electric power poles wherever they pleased. Not long afterwards, a big and vicious bull charged at the linemen. They dropped everything and ran. The old farmer sat on a nearby fence and yelled, Show that bull your papers! Show them your papers. Paper authority doesn't count for much, does it? Well, to a lot of us, a lot of us Christians, unfortunately, Jesus' authority is really only paper authority. It's something we'll look to for inspiration if we're desperate, but we don't really consistently believe it applies to our situation. But if we let go of trying to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders, we're going to find freedom in a couple of places. First, like this man, inside of us we will be delivered, liberated. Inside of us where the demons and the evil and the remorse and the guilt dwell, so to speak, all the powers that like to control us, all the powers that aren't God, will be evicted. And then, once our insides are free, the outside is going to follow. And life actually changes, which is scary. People of God, people of Israel were not happy just quite a little bit after Moses took them through the Red Sea. A little bit un uncertainty, wandering in the wilderness. Most of us would, would not, rather not do that. We'll even take slavery over that. Jesus has the authority to offer us freedom if we're willing to take it. And deep within the soul of every person, I think, is a longing for hope and purpose and freedom. Some of us 
all of us more than once in our lives look for what we long for in all the wrong places but we need to know we need to show and tell others that there is hope for this world there is help Jesus has the authority to deliver us from whatever may get into us because only our creator has the key that, that unlocks the door to peace and serenity and purpose only Jesus has the authority to look inside of you and me and say come out let this person, this beloved child of mine, live. Amen. Please pray with me. God of love, we open the insides of ourselves up to you, not just our routines, our traditions, and not just the best of who we are, but all of us. And we ask you to assume authority over all of our lives so that we might grow and become fully the people you have made us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.